You're listening to A Senseless Death. In the late hours of November 7, 2014, Zachary Lamb and his fiance made their way home after a night out. Somewhere along the short 2.4-mile route, a man started following them. Zach tried to lose the car, but it didn't work. They were followed all the way to the street in front of his apartment. When he got out to confront the man, he was shot and killed. Episode 4, Zach's Story. I'm watching a grainy cell phone video of Zach and my sister in a small bedroom full of people. Everyone is precariously balanced on a queen-size air mattress, blown up on the floor. Zach quickly leaves the room and comes back in carrying another young man, lifting him up onto the air mattress. You can hear him say over and over, I don't even know this guy. I don't even know this guy. All right, all right. I don't even know you. No, you're not going to get hurt. I'm just going to slam you really hard, but not. No, don't slam. Oh, we're going to do it. Zach instructs everyone to start jumping. Seems they're trying to pop the air mattress. Unsuccessfully. I just don't think it's going to pop. My sister Kelly was not only older than Zach when she met him. She was the single mom of two young boys. Zach's life was the polar opposite of hers. I'll never forget one house party he took me to, and I felt like it was all teenagers. And it's just watching him walk around like he's a celebrity. Everyone knew his name, and we're excited he showed up. And it was like he was just... Like was walking around almost signing autographs. I'm like, holy crud, everyone knows. I'm like, we would even walk downtown on the street. And one girl came around the corner, Zach, ran up to him and just hopped right on him. And they fell over. And I was like, whoa, okay. (laughs) We couldn't go anywhere without someone knowing him. Like he just was so social. And it was always a crazy adventure with Zach. It was always an adventure with him. (laughs) Yes. They met while working at neighboring restaurants. Both shared the same owner. Kelly was working her first job in a kitchen while finishing culinary school, and one night came over to use the slicer at the other restaurant. I just kept hearing these weird noises and music playing, and I opened the door, and I just see this guy dancing. I think he had a spoon in his hand. was dishwashing and he was doing different dance moves like the Michael Jackson and just popping around the table and just laughing and smiling and I was I just kept thinking who is this guy I've never seen anybody that happy to wash dishes before the two of them instantly connected Zach made her feel comfortable she was nervous in this new job and he seemed to have an abundance of confidence They began hanging out after work and even tried dating for a while, but found they were better off as friends. It was such a short time with him, but it seemed like years just being with him. And I don't know, it was just the most exciting time in my life, I'd have to say, when he was around. It just, and it didn't matter like if things were stressful and he just always, always had a smile on his face, always super happy. 
I mean, he can make you laugh just when you're in the middle of just breaking down and crying and upset. He'll do something or say something. And it just, he just had a way of making everything better. Soon, Zach learned about Kelly's two young boys. At the time, the oldest was 12 and the youngest was eight. He couldn't wait to meet them. Since Zach worked days and Kelly worked nights, Zach offered to keep them busy while Kelly was at work. Trips to the park to play or mini golf at the course his parents helped manage, anything to get them out of the house. He even joined a kickball team and brought the boys with him to games every Sunday. Zach really bonded strongly with both, but especially my oldest nephew, who was a black kid in an all-white family just like Zach was. Well, instantly, I knew there was a bond when he met my oldest son, Dominic, because Dominic is mixed, so he's half black. I knew he was kind of struggling who he is and who he wanted to be and just fitting in. And they instantly had this, like, connection and bond just right away. But I know with their family, Zach had a different father, Mm -hmm. of course, that wasn't around in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, He does have a dad, of course, that raised him and all those years. But I think in some sense, he just, knowing that Dominic didn't have his father here or biological father around, it kind of, I think it hit home a little bit for him. Zach always struggled and dealt with um, a lot of hate from people. I think Dominic during that time was dealing with some of those issues as well. And it just gave him that comfort and security. And and Zach just was obsessed with hanging out with the boys and doing stuff with them. So that always made me happy. (laughs) He was living a party lifestyle where he was talking about wanting to party a little less and think about focusing on family more and just being around the boys. You know, he just enjoyed it so much. And so it was kind of nice. And for me, I didn't get the party life because I've been a mom since I was 20. So it was kind of a nice mixture. He would, you know, when I had a babysitter, take me drinking and we'd have fun. And then and then I he would cut back on drinking and hanging out with the boys and we'd go bowling and, you know, do family stuff. So it was kind of a nice little mm-hmm. mix we had going on. <laughs> But definitely since he came, was a part of our life, he, he mellowed out a lot. Even his parents would tell you he was uh, <laughs> a lot less trouble when he was hanging out with us. <laughs> I'm back with Zach's parents, learning what he was like growing up and how sometimes he himself had a few minor run-ins with the law. He was a good kid. He tried really hard. He just, he wanted to be good. He just couldn't help himself. <laughs> he knew that he was disappointing me when he, you know, especially when he started getting in trouble with the law or when he would even just get in trouble. And he would apologize and just be so sorry and just cry and it would just break my heart, you know. And, and um, but we, we got along really well and he could always talk to me about just about anything. And smart, smart as a whip. He just... Well, and here's the other thing. Every single time he went to jail, he'd get, like, he'd get student of the week. And, and he, they'd be like, he 
is so well behaved. How do you have any trouble at home? And we're like, we don't know. Yeah, you tell <laughs> us. The judges and well, we talked to his probation officer, and he's like, okay, this tells me that you guys have done a good job. The fact that he can behave himself in jail. Yeah, he knows the rules. He just chooses to bend them when he's out, you know, and he knows how to push all your buttons. So, yeah. Me and Zach, we got along great, but we also argued constantly. He'd sit next to you and go, oh, I love you. And the next minute he'd be doing something he knows he would get in trouble for. (laughs) Instantly he would know he'd going to get in trouble for it. Just, I think more or less just, he liked to get reactions out of people. Cliff is not Zach's biological dad. He met Julie and her four kids when they were young, and he knew right away he belonged in this family. I think Zach's relationship with Cliff was a big reason why he jumped right in with my sister and her boys. But growing up, Zach's continued trips in and out of juvenile detention was taking a toll on his family. It was time for a change. We didn't know what to do, and it took us forever to figure out what to do. And we basically said, okay, what's your plan? Okay, I'm going to be good and get a job. Okay, that's not a very good plan because you had 10 days to think about it when he was in jail and and he went to adult jail that time. Um, He'd done some looking and he said, look, there are jobs in Louisiana because of all this reconstruction and stuff. So we gave him X amount of money. It's not like we arbitrarily threw him out of the house, even though there are people that think we did. We got him a bus ticket. We found a place for him to go once he got there. And he loved it. I mean, the only problem was he really didn't have any of the skills they were looking for. But he he did find a job that he had skill with. He went to work at a pizza place because we owned a pizza place. So he knew the stuff. Every time the phone rang, we were panicked because we didn't know. Is it the police calling? Is it the hospital or the morgue? Because we never, he was just so... It was so scary having him in some place that I knew. I, you know, we were very naive as well, thinking he could go down to Louisiana. It was a year after Katrina that he could find a job, you know. And uh, we found out that one time he got robbed at, at gunpoint, and the guy shoved him into a uh, construction site outhouse, pulled the trigger, and it just somehow jammed. And so he just basically ran the guy over and just took off running. And the guy was. Zach was just so crazy fast. He could have been in the Olympics. That's how good he was. But he couldn't stay out of trouble (laughs) to save his life. So, um, yeah, he just, and it's not that he wanted to be in trouble. He just, trouble found him. His parents went on to talk about what a culture shock it was for Zach moving from a small town in eastern Washington to New Orleans. His run-ins with the law as a kid were nothing compared to what it was like in the Deep South. One time, an officer from New Orleans who had encounters with Zach called his parents. When he learned where Zach was from, the officer understood why he was unaware of how things worked for a young black man in a city like the Big Easy. He urged them to move Zach home for his safety. You know, I don't want people to think that Zach was this huge problem child that was looking for trouble wherever he went. He just... He liked to do stuff with people, and even if it was wrong, but it meant going to do stuff. Yeah, if it was something new and exciting (laughs) and, you know, it might not be right, but, hey, we could have fun doing it. He'd go for it in a heartbeat, but nobody got hurt from it. It wasn't anything like that. I don't think he ever really stole anything from anybody. I can't 
Think of any time you he ever... never wanted to harm anybody. No, exactly. He no, just, it was just Zach wanted to have fun. fun in his opinion. You know, so. he yeah. <laughs> we used to call him the rules police because he would like tell everybody what the rules were, but they didn't apply to him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they still don't. <laughs> no, so, yeah. What do you mean I can't? <laughs> you really did have it's crazy a really strong sense of of what was right and what was wrong and what was fair. And so even when he would do something wrong, if you could point out to him that it wasn't fair to the other person, then his remorse level increased dramatically, you know, and he would never do anything like that again. But sometimes he he would tell us, well, that's not fair, even though he was doing stuff exactly the same but it never occurred to him because it was fair for him, but not somebody else. So it was kind of a really weird little line we all walked because he would be like, well, that's not right. That's It's not okay for them to do that, you know? And then he would go do the same thing. But he'd do anything for his friends. Yeah. He just literally wanted to be everybody's best friend. He wasn't bad he just was trying to be a good friend most of the time and to him a good friend would do anything for you even if it was wrong once he moved back home the family started to relocate to spokane things were turning around for zach he was changing he was growing up when he met my sister and the boys he liked the idea of starting a family since hanging out with me, he mellowed out a lot, but the one thing we had talked about, he wanted kids of his own. I can no longer have kids. I had my tubes tied, and so that kind of, yeah. It was a short time later, he met the young woman who would become his fiance. I remember when she first came around, and Zach and I, I mean, at this point, we were hanging out, like, every single day. It was just either he would have the kids, and then I work, and vice versa. And so we were just <coughs> swapping the kids back and forth with our shifts. And then when we had time off, we were always hanging out. So it was a struggle, I know, when he first got with because she's like, who's this girl hanging around all the time? And <laughs> so I had assured, no, 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 I'm just the best friend, you know. <laughs> and... Um, he was really nervous at first because he knew he felt that connection with And it was like a struggle for him because we were really strong together too, but he knew like we couldn't just all three just hang out all the time. Mm -hmm. So I know he struggled with trying to be the boyfriend and then the best friend and then with the kids. And, and then when decided <laughs> that they, she was gonna move in with him, it was, I remember how nervous he was. He's like, can I do this? Can I do this? And I said, you're ready. You're ready. This is what you want, right? She's going to move in. You're going to have a family. Like, the, everything's going to be great. And I knew they were trying um, instantly. They both wanted to have a kid. And, and of course, me and Zach's parents at first were like, ooh, you guys have all the time ahead of you in the world. You don't, you don't, you don't have to do this all right now. You guys just got together. And, you know, you could take it slow. But he... He's really determined to have kids. <laughs> While it seems like Zach's parents knew about this attempt to get pregnant right away, the truth was, they didn't. I, it didn't even occur to me that there might already be that in the works. I don't know why. It didn't do did yeah. it to I mean, you? No, he called me, too, and he said, hey, we're... Because he knew that my boss 
had a couple apartments and he said, well, does she have anything available? We want a two bedroom. I said, why do you want a two bedroom? You know, the price goes up huge with a second bedroom. He played it off at first. As, well, maybe her family would come over and see her because they live on the coast. And he said, well, maybe Micah would come over and stay with us so I could see him because his brother was over on the other side too. And I said, well, don't worry about it. Figure it out later. Just find a place and move into it. So, and then she told us later on that he'd get out the phone from talking with us and go, well, I don't think they're going to like this. And which is the farthest thing from what we ever, I mean, she just came out and said, hey, look, you're going to be grandparents. Change everything. Yeah. Sure. I'll find you a place yeah. to move. Yeah. Well, and I, because he even said the nursery thing and I'm like, oh, you got lot, you got lots of time. Don't even be thinking like that. You know, you've, you know, just spend time together and that can happen later, but you got all the time in the world. You don't need to worry about things like that. And, her and Zach both, it seemed like about the same time, both decided, okay, I need to do something with my life. You know, um, she was going to come to Thanksgiving dinner. We were going to have it over at Julie's brother's house. And they were going to tell us that they were getting married and that she was pregnant. Well, we missed that by a few weeks. Yeah. Thanksgiving was also going to be the first time they met Zach's new fiance. Instead, they all had to meet the day after that tragic night. We never actually got to meet her till afterwards. Yeah, that day. Yeah. And it's like, so how do you do this? How do you meet somebody the first time after? I felt bad. We, we met at a Denny's and... They didn't, I was hoping that we'd be put like in a back corner so we were like in the middle of the restaurant. We're all just sitting there quietly. Nobody's talking. I'm sure the waitresses and stuff were like, what the heck? Yeah. And then we actually did start talking. Um, but yeah, that was really weird, weird. We were very concerned because we, we knew she was pregnant. We didn't know how far along she was. And it was soon. It was like three or four weeks. She wasn't very far along at all. And we kind of almost expected her I mean thought there's no way she's not with all this stress she's gonna miscarry and so we were so thrilled when it didn't happen because I think we kind of expected it to with her and the baby now living across the state it's hard to see each other as often as they'd like but they all keep in touch sending photos and videos back and forth in between visits they are so much alike in fact she sent this picture of her with brownies, and one of them, she's just laughing and being silly, and the next one's really serious. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's Zach. <laughs> it looks so much like him. And he'll, and she's like the perfect combination of, of the two. You know, and then, then... Then there was happiness, and it it's always been kind of bittersweet. I mean, we... And I think that's helps us a little bit more, the fact that we do have a grandchild out of this, whereas I feel bad for people that, you know have older children like we did, and yet... It's been four years since Zach was killed. I asked them what life has been like with him gone. There are days I still don't know how I get up and go, I just have to, I have to. Yes, I'm on medication, and if I wasn't, I probably wouldn't. I'm for depression, because obviously this would depress anybody. Mm -hmm. So, um... 
but yeah, I wouldn't be able to function without it. And, um, there's different levels of grief. I don't think people even realize how different they are. And sometimes I feel like I'm not a good mother to my other children because I, I just feel like I can't be sometimes. I'm not as available emotionally as I used to be because I've had to close that off a little bit. Otherwise, I would just be a blubbering mess. <laughs> and there are times I am, you know, which is, he's great about just cry. And there are people who, and they, uh, they don't want to talk about it because I don't want to make you feel worse. It actually makes me feel better. Someone asked the other day, does it feel like sometimes this is just a dream that that child never existed because there's just nothing, nothing to point to them anymore other than pictures. And, and sometimes I do feel that way. I feel like without the baby, it would be even harder. It would be, it would feel more... Empty. Empty, yeah. Yeah, it would definitely seem much more unreal and empty yeah. without her. Not long after losing Zach, his parents found a private Facebook group for those who've lost children. In this group, they've seen other families battle with going years and years without a lead or break in their child's case. And sometimes they see what it's like when the perpetrator is found and the family has to live through trial. It was a lady who had to write her victim statement. And I hate to say it, I don't know if I could sit through that and sit down and write something and then have to either read it myself or the judge will read it. I don't think I could do that. I don't know about Julie, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't without getting incredibly upset. And, but the thought of actually being looking at this person and then maybe there's a chance they get off. Like well, I told him, my best case scenario is they get in a shootout and then we don't have to worry about it. But then he pointed out he's somebody's child too. He, what if somebody innocent gets hurt, like a police officer or somebody on the street? Or, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about things like that. I'm just thinking, I want this person gone. I don't want him to do this to anybody else. We all know how the court system works. It's a long, drawn-out thing. There are people that we have seen on the website who have went for months, no work, not going anywhere. They just go to court every single day. What is that? Especially if the person gets off at the end, what is that? put you through? Where is your mental state going to be after that? I keep saying when there's a trial, he keeps saying if or not at all. We don't know. We really don't know. I want there to... Someone online asked, have you gotten justice for your child? We don't even have a suspect. And then there are people saying... Yes, they're in prison for 130 years, or in some cases, very short periods of time. But it's never going to bring your child back. It's never going to, you know, be what you need, which is your child. It's never, and, and she's never going to have her daddy the way she needs to have him, you know. And um, I just, the thought of never knowing forever, 
It's really hard, but at the same time, am I ready to go to court? I don't think I'll ever be ready for that. Initially, I was a little shocked to hear them say this. But in thinking about it more, I understood. It's a complicated mix of emotions, and sometimes you fear. Maybe you only have enough strength to make it through each day without your child. One more thing would be too much. But I think deep down, there's still a part of them that wants to know what happened that night. And they know other people in Zach's life want closure, too. At the moment, this is where the story ends. When I thought about how to structure this podcast, my goal was to make as many episodes as we could with what we currently know. Then hopefully, as more people listen and hear Zach's story, maybe someone would come forward with new information. Once again, here's what we know about the man who killed Zach. It was a white man in his 40s, wearing a baseball cap and driving an older, dark-colored SUV. The vehicle was unique because it had a roof rack, one that extended over the windshield. They think this rack may mean the person is in the construction business. I firmly believe someone out there knows something. Violent road rage incidents don't usually involve people who have a history of murder. I think for most people, it would make it hard to go back to regular life like nothing happened. I think people who know this man would have seen noticeable changes, maybe an unexpected selling of their car or other changes in behavior. Or maybe there's another witness from that night who saw the two cars and has information we don't yet have. On our website, we have pictures and links to all the information we know about Zach's case. We also have a link to contact us and or the Spokane Police Department if you have any information you think could be relevant. And of course, we will update you here with any further progressions in the case. But in the end, the goal of all of this was to let others know who Zach was. We recently passed the four-year anniversary of Zach's death. And as they do every year on this day, Cliff and Julie get together with my sister Kelly and her two boys. This year, they invited me along. We sit at a big table in the middle of a busy restaurant with our pizza orders. My sister tries, like she always does, to get her kids to eat at least a little bit of salad. It doesn't take long before the stories about Zach start. Walk and like the way his keys would just. It's a night to forget about the sadness, hit pause on the pain of him being gone. A chance to laugh and be together as a family. I think Zach would approve. A Senseless Death is produced and hosted by Lindy Bustetz, mixed and edited by Chris Bustetz, music provided by artists from Artlist.io. If you have any information regarding Zach's murder, you can contact us and the Spokane Police Department on our website, asenselessdeath.com. <laughs>